Welcome to the All Things Protest podcast. I'm your host, Christian Curran, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Rob Sneckenberg. Today, we're going to cover the latest decision on key personnel availability from the Court of Federal Claims. This is one of our more frequent topics, but the law here just keeps evolving, and we have yet another instance of a potential Court of Federal Claims disagreement with the Government Accountability Office. And the decision is KPMG v. United States. Rob, can you summarize it for us? Sure, Christian. And it is an interesting decision. It's a procurement for finance support services for DOD's National Reconnaissance Office. Three offers submitted proposals in September 2021, KPMG, Selkie, and Deloitte. Relevant here, KPMG's proposal identified Mr. H as a required individual to support the contract. So Mr. H is the key person or key personnel that we're going to be talking about today. At the time, Mr. H was employed by KPMG's subcontractor and was performing on the incumbent contract. Interestingly, Deloitte also proposed Mr. H to support the contract, listing him as a contingent hire. Deloitte provided a letter of commitment from Mr. H stating that he intended to work for Deloitte if Deloitte was awarded the contract. That's very interesting, Rob. I think this is something we're seeing a good deal more of now where you have multiple offerors proposing the same person with that person providing kind of dueling letters of commitment, depending on who prevails. Yeah, it's certainly becoming more common with service contracts. Um, you know, you have individuals who are supporting a particular government agency under one contract, the contract is awarded to a new company, and they're hired by the new company. Somewhat similar to incumbent capture proposal strategies, or even just offering a right of first refusal to incumbent contracts. Right. And the key seems to be if you're going to propose someone, you have to have a reasonable basis to believe they will work for you. And if you're going to propose incumbent capture, you need to show how you're going to accomplish that. For example, by showing historically how you've been successful at incumbent capture or by proposing rates high enough to attract the incumbent workforce. Right. There's nothing inherently problematic about, you know, being a new offer coming in off the street, but still proposing to hire the incumbents. It's just uh, it can implicate a number of different protests and other cost issues that you need to consider. So uh, definitely good to check the law out on incumbent capture when you're considering that strategy. But getting back to the facts here and specific to Mr. H., so moving three and a half months after proposal submission, we're at January 11th, 2022. And I want to get a bit specific about the dates because they matter here. So January 11th, Mr. H notified the subcontractor that he was resigning because he was going to accept employment with Deloitte. And he told the subcontractor his last day would be January 28th. Now, unsurprisingly, you have a proposal out there with a proposed key personnel. So KPMG and the subcontractor agreed that they'd work together to try and persuade Mr. H to stay. But at the same time, on January 18th, they went ahead and duly notified the agency that Mr. H had announced his resignation. So this is where the timing really gets interesting. On January 25th, the agency completed its evaluation and determined that it was going to award to KPMG. And in fact, that award was made on January 27th the day before Mr. H's last day, All right? So he was still employed on the day that, that the award was made. 
but his last day was going to be the very next day. So obviously he wouldn't be involved in contract performance unless he changed his mind and decided to come back. So with that, you know, very narrow window uh, of timing here, that's what led to the series of protests. The third offer, or Selkie, protested the award of GAO. And among its arguments was that Mr. H wasn't actually available since even though he was technically employed on the date of award, he'd be unavailable to perform. GAO sustained that protest and focused on the facts that the RFP said performance would begin on February 1, which is a few days after Mr. H's resignation date. GAO said that was the relevant date for considering Mr. H's availability, not the date when the agency completed its evaluation or made the actual award. And applying its draconian key personnel availability rule that we're all familiar with now, GAO held that the agency had its two familiar options, either evaluate KPMG's proposal without Mr. H or reopen discussions with everyone. Well, as often happens here, the agency followed GAO's recommendation and evaluated KPMG without Mr. H. And after doing so, it concluded that KPMG was unawardable since it now lacked Mr. H. Thanks, Rob. Quite a set of interesting facts there, given the, the tightness of all those dates. What happened next? Yeah, so we have the agency now switching the award over to Deloitte. But rather than just take that line down, KPMG went and filed a protest at the Court of Federal Claims, alleging that the agency's decision to follow GAO's recommendation was irrational. So as we often see it, it's not technically an appeal to the Court of Federal Claims, right? But obviously, the Court of Federal Claims is going to review that GAO decision and give it scrutiny. Exactly. Yeah, it's one of those interesting interplays between uh, the court and GAO and, you know, who's considering whose decision. So definitely not an appeal, but the GAO decision did come under scrutiny. And in fact, the court held that the agency's uh, decision to follow GAO was irrational. So unlike GAO, the court held that based on the record, KPMG was still communicating with Mr. H to potentially change his mind on January 27th, the day of award. And the court noted again, Mr. H didn't actually leave until after award. Based on those facts, the court held that he was not clearly unavailable, and thus the award to KPMG was proper. And I think we're going to talk a bit more about this part, but the court also noted, while not determinative, Public policy supported upholding the original award to KPMG. Specifically, the court quoted prior court decisions holding that absence an affirmative requirement to do so in the solicitation, an offeror is not obligated to notify an agency after it submits its proposal if key personnel have departed. The court then noted that nothing in the solicitation here required such notice and went further to state that KPMG demonstrated, quote, good and prudent behavior because it voluntarily informed the agency about a possible future staffing issue and proposed a solution to help further the efficient administration of the contract. The court stated that it did not want to encourage contractors to, quote, hide the ball regarding key personnel and instead emphasized that requiring notification or finding key personnel unavailable in circumstances such as here quote, would give the whims of proposed key personnel outsized influence over government contract award decisions. That's very interesting, Rob. And these are practical considerations that are something we've been talking about for a while, given that 
the GAO rule seems to potentially disincentivize full and open communication between contractors and procuring agencies about their key personnel post-submission, because if contractors don't necessarily learn about the issues with the availability, then they would have nothing to disclose. So it's really a thorny issue that, practically speaking, tends to play out in odd ways. Agreed. It's definitely one of the thorny issues that the procurement community has been dealing with. So it's really refreshing to see these concerns being aired and the focus here being on how best to solve these issues for not just contractors, but for agencies in the entire procurement process. It's really great to see those policy considerations coming to the fore. So Rob, what else can our listeners take away from this case? Do we know or can we predict how it would have turned out if the facts had been a little different or if Mr. H had left before award? So these are good questions. All of these key personnel cases are very fact-specific, and here the timing was obviously critical to both the court and GAO decisions. A matter of days separated the evaluation, Mr. H leaving, and performance beginning. It's probably too much to read into the decision exactly how it would have come out if the facts were different, even by a few days. But the key takeaway here is to be thinking of these arguments and to be availing yourself of the different forums for review. Had KPMG let the issue lie, we would have been left with the GAO decision and the award to Deloitte. But there was that second opportunity for review here at the court that provided a further review of the issues and ultimately flipped the outcome. We need to continue monitoring these cases as they come out because this is still a situation where the court and GAO are disagreeing on some of the key fundamental issues here. Certainly. And we'll keep our eyes peeled for more decisions in this area, as always. Until then, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest. Thank you.